Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if there was ever one thing from 2020 that we wanted to carry over into this next year, it's that your Los Angeles Lakers are still world champions of the National Basketball Association, so we are still lit 2021, and what an amazing feeling it is to hold on to that fact and hang it over everyone's head as we trek forward into this next year. So happy new year, 2020 is hindsight, and 2021 is blackjack. Speaking of Black Jack, the Lakers may have the best Black Jack of all trades player on their team of all time in LeBron James. Tommy, Happy New Year. How was your winter break and how are you feeling about 2021? Uh, very busy, but I'm feeling great about 2021. Happy 2020's over, as I think everybody is. Um, but yeah, hopefully 2021 is, is a little more uh, optimistic than 2020 was. Only thing I'd like to keep from 2020 is the Lakers win another championship. Yes, exactly. And what are your thoughts on, do the Lakers have more than one black jack-of-all-trades on their team? I would say definitely. I, I got to throw AD in there, too. For sure. Uh, okay, so the Lakers are 5-2, and two, tied for first in the West with the Clippers and the Suns. Today, we're going to be talking about early trends, both good and bad, macro and micro, that we've seen from this team, and just some other things we've observed that we like, we want to see more of, we want to see less of, etc., uh, Tommy, you have not been on the show since I think we assembled this team, at least in terms, of, in terms of regular season-wise. So obviously there's a lot to talk about, but just you can streamline your thoughts right now. Over the last two weeks, yeah, what are your initial thoughts of how the team has looked? I think for myself, it kind of feels weird watching games that I'm not necessarily concerned about when it comes to the end outcome. I almost describe it as watching, it's like reverse tanking, because at the end of the day, if the Lakers lose, it's fine for me. Like, I kind of know the ceiling of this team and what they actually look like when they bring forth the effort. So when I'm watching these games, I'm kind of just looking for things within the game to be excited about, uh, whether they're running certain plays, whether the chemistry is there looking at some of the new guys and what they can bring and what their ceilings are, looking at the young guys like THT and Kuzma to, to gauge whether they've improved and whether they can help out this year even more so. And if it so happens to win the game, then great. But I'm not necessarily pulling out my hair, you know, grasping for the win. Uh, and for me, it's almost like fantasy basketball. Like, who's getting what stats tonight and the game is largely academic? Of course, I want, it, I want us to win, but if we lose, that's okay. It's probably just an effort thing. Um, 
Because like I said, we know what this team is capable of and we know what the final goal is that we're trying to reach. Obviously, it feels like a dangerous line to toe, and yet we're 5-2 and two, tied for first in the West. So yeah, what have your thoughts been yeah, watching this team? Uh, I've been pretty impressed by how quickly everything has come together. I mean, despite all the changes, most of our core here is the same. I think like, you know, if you want to we're playing kind of 11 deep right now, but if you want to think of like a top 10 on this team, six of the 10 guys were here last year and played significant roles for us. If you want to think of a top 11, I mean, seven of the 11, I THT didn't really play last year, but he was on the team. Plus then you have the end of the bench guys like Dudley and Quinn cook who are going to keep some of the, you know, same chemistry, um, and, and, uh, you know, leadership that we had on the team last year. Uh, so, I thought that it wasn't going to take us as long as some completely new teams, like for example, the Nets, obviously integrating Katie and Kyrie and, and the Warriors have a completely new team. It feels like, and a bunch of teams are in that boat after a new, a new season, right. And especially with the short preseason and short off season. So I didn't think we would be quite there, uh, but I didn't also think we would just jump right into it and you would see exactly what we're going to see like all year from week one. And that's kind of what we have mm-hmm. seen. I feel like the adjustment has been crazy fast in my opinion. Um, Considering what we do defensively is pretty complicated, I think, schematically. And LeBron and AD are phenomenal players. But for some of these guys coming in, like Dennis Schroeder, Schroeder, I always say Schroeder for some reason, (laughs) Dennis Schroeder, um, Montrez, like these guys average, you know, nearly 20 points a game themselves last season. And in Schroeder's case, yeah, he was playing off the bench, but he was, he might've been the leading scorer on that team. Um, last year. So he, you know, both of these guys are coming in to all of a sudden kind of being thrust into new roles with LeBron and AD as the very, very clear number one and number two guys on the team. And, you know, it, it, it's been remarkable to me how quickly those two guys in particular have adapted. You can say like, okay, maybe Wes, he got used to being kind of a role player his last few years. Maybe Markeith, you know, got used to in the bubble being a role player Marcus Saul is getting older. Maybe he got used to being more of a role player in his in his later years with the Raptors. But those other two guys were like like legitimate number three, maybe at mm-hmm. worst, you know, options on their team um, last year. And so they've just jumped in really to uh, very quickly to being you know uh, pushed further down the list. I mean. Montrez is maybe our best bench player right now, but he's got a lot of competition, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's just handled it very, very well. Um, all around, I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very impressed. And, and it's been nice to see how the coaching staff has identified from day one how to use all of these guys. I felt like last year there were a lot of these weird sort of experimental phases. You know, people remember the bubble because that's what was most recent, but people don't remember those like random weird stretches of like 10 games at a time when like Vogel would run out these lineups that felt like they weren't really working, but he would wait for like a reason to kind of switch things up. And and uh, it feels like from day one, he's kind of utilizing all of these guys the way that we hoped they would be utilized. And, mm-hmm. and so it's been really nice to see. Yeah, I want to get back to that point. But first, in terms of 
the team gelling. I think so far we've had at least one game for each new player where they've kind of shown out a little bit. Marcus Gasol's had his game. Trez has had a couple. Schroeder definitely a couple. Wes Matthews has had two games now where he shot the lights out. Kuzma, THT. So it's nice to see everybody sort of get their shine. And, you know, before the season started, we talked about how this team is 11 deep, and that has been borne out because I think 11 players are averaging at least 13.5 minutes or more. Alex Caruso is the least of that, and he's only played three games because he's been injured or undergoing the COVID protocol. And outside of us being 11 deep, you could make a legitimate argument that any one of these 11 players you could pick out of a, pick out of a hat and say they could probably be starting for any other NBA team. Maybe Marquise Caruso and THT you kind of haggle about, but THT, if, if it's a tank team, for sure, for sure. Um, right. So it's just crazy to see just that depth come into tangible manifestation. And so now I want to talk about, also I wanted to add that there are currently six players on this team averaging double figures, which is insane. That's crazy. Uh, Montrez and Cal Kuzma are both only playing 25 minutes, but Montrez is averaging 13 points. Cal Kuzma is averaging 12 points. For, for both of them to be doing that in, 12, in, in 25 minutes each is pretty insane. And then on top of that, um, I guess going back to the rotation, you mentioned how it seems like Frank Vogel started to utilize these guys pretty well early on. I do think he's still very much experimenting. Yeah. Uh, I think this team is just super talented, so that kind of smooths over any transitional periods. And I actually want to bring this up to you, but I feel like Vogel has such a tricky job this season. Like, it's so tough for me to... And and credit to the guys, too, like even the top guys, like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, for not caring too much about their stats. But you look across the board, and every single dude's stats are, like, down. You know what I mean? But right. as a collective, it, it kind of doesn't matter because we're, like, tops in the, in the NBA, like, offensively and all that stuff. So credit to the guys. But when it comes to Vogel, I almost feel like in this early part of the season that he's had such a tricky job trying to make sure that every single guy has some sort of rhythm and allotment of minutes. And I feel like it's almost helped him to have guys sit out due to a number of different circumstances, whether it's COVID protocol or rest or injury, because it's made his life easier on, you know, not shortchanging anybody. Because I feel like on any given night, he's shortchanging at least two or three guys who are deserving of minutes. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so... I feel like, you know, when we talk about staggering certain guys and staggering their minutes so that everybody gets a fair shot, I feel like this season, and maybe it's a great season to, you know, have a team this deep with, given the unusual circumstances of COVID and the back-to-back-to-backs and the different mini-series plays, I feel like Vogel's almost has to stagger guys game by game, as in a main rotation guy or two will play this night, but sit the next night to give another guy a chance. So in some ways, it kind of feels like preseason, but yeah. because of how talented we are as a group, we haven't really noticed that. And, it, and it's crazy that you can slot in two guys out, slot in another two guys in their place, and it doesn't seem like, at least thus far, that there's any break in that rhythm. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on just like, dude, this is so tough for me to even think about, okay, how do I make sure that Wes Matthews stays involved in it and gets at least 15 minutes? And then Caruso, oh my God, Marquis has been playing solid, you know? And the reason why, you know, I, 
the reason why the guys have the minutes they have now is because certain guys have completely sat out games. So this is probably the high end of some of the, these guys' minutes already. So I don't know how it's going to play out throughout the season. I'm just, I, I don't know if there's a, a solution, if it's even a problem. But my whole thing is, man, it's, it's tough to get these guys adequate minutes. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. No, I agree. It's like a blessing and a curse kind of with, uh, with the massive amounts of depth we have. And this is, it's crazy because we, when we were talking about this before the season started, you know, you kind of say like, oh, wow, like we have a team where I, for like one through 10, these guys would be legitimate one through eight. I feel like at least rotation players on pretty much every other team in the NBA, which is mm-hmm. pretty rare. But, you know, the downside of that is you're going to have guys who are not getting as many minutes as maybe they would like, or even if they're getting minutes, they might not be getting the number of volume of touches that they're used to or, you know, things like that. So I I agree with you. And I think Vogel is trying to find that balance. And I do think the lucky thing for him is he does, we have just enough guys who are completely selfless on the team to where it's like, you know, this is not going to be, it shouldn't be a huge issue for us moving forward. And, and, you know, Vogel's going to kind of find the balance there because some of these guys, we maybe need to be a little bit more selfish even, but like, for example, Marcus all can play an entire game, you know, impact the game in so many ways and take one or two shots. Um, Alex Caruso, you know, is going, who's been out for us for the last few games, you know, will come back soon and similar role with him. Like he can impact the game in so many ways, not even take a shot, you know, take one or two shots, a wide open corner three or something. So Wes Matthews, I feel like he should maybe even be getting more, like more shots for three because he's like really, really good at those, um, Mm -hmm. especially when we hit him in the corners. But I you know, has gotten kind of used to playing a role on some deep teams. You know, he did, uh, he did so with the Bucks. I think the last two years. Um, and even before he went to the Bucks was on some teams that had a good amount of depth and, and he, you know, was willing to kind of just take more of a role. And and obviously, you know, he's getting older too. So we have enough of these guys who don't really need looks, but it's, it's going to be a never ending balance to make sure that everybody stays engaged enough to where when we need them in the playoffs, they're like ready to go. Um, and I just don't know how Vogel's going to, going to continue to do that over the course of the season. I mean, like you said, right now it does still feel like we're kind of in preseason, but we're barely 10% of the way into the season. And like, there's a long way to go. And at what point does he switch this or like tighten up the rotation? If he ever does, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't, <laughs> you know, maybe we just play 11 deep the whole year and he keeps like, Doing this, and which in any case would be fine because I think we kind of saw last year that this team has LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and to some extent, that's all you really need, right? Yeah. And, and the other guys will fall into place. And I think the biggest thing that helps the Lakers out outside of having selfless veterans and whatnot is just the fact that they won the championship last year. So when that's There's, kind of yeah. hanging over your head, people just will fall in line because of that. I think it would be a totally different scenario if we, were, we still had something to prove. So, right. but because we are world champions, like who, who can argue at this point? Um, with that said, before we dive deeper into this episode, uh, forgot to mention that I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. The more you rate and review us five stars, that's how many times Marc Gasol will throw up the Hail Mary and cross himself to the heavens in an attempt <laughs> to restrain himself from arguing with the refs. 
uh, when he did that, that reminded me of that random time in the playoffs against the Lakers, actually, when Steve Nash like turned to a, a ref and was like, are you not seeing what I'm seeing? And he did like this backwards eye goggle thing where he like had to yeah. complicatedly flip his <laughs> yeah. eye goggles above his eyes really quickly as, and it looked like he was wearing the Batman mask. And I just thought that was hilarious. And that's what Marcus saw crossing himself up into the heavens reminded me of. So if you want to see more of that, uh, where Mark does it to restrain himself from getting too angry, please rate interview us five stars on the Apple podcast app. Also, if you feel so obliged, please also consider donating to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where you will get some exclusive content, including some quick post-game recaps by yours truly after certain games. Um, and yeah, those are that's all the plugging for this episode. Uh, before we dive into some quick general points that I wanted to throw your way, do you have any plays that you want to highlight that stick out in your head over the last two weeks? Because we've had some pretty exciting stuff i you know we have had the anthony davis behind the back dribble into a step back three against the spurs uh last night against the grizzlies we had anthony davis driving and doing a kobe like wraparound pass to trez i believe kuzma also had one of those versus the wolves which was his best all-around game thus far in which he attacked the closeout on the baseline drew the defender and wrapped it behind his back to trez for a dunk as well have any are there any plays that stood out for you no play in particular that I could think of right now, but one genre or one like general type of play that I've been very amused by is the uh, Kuz chase down block, which is a new thing he's added <laughs> yeah. into his arsenal. <laughs> it is hilarious. I mean, because he, he's so violent the way he swats <laughs> the ball and he comes out like so spazzy and it, it, it like is weird because he doesn't really seem, I, I don't know, at times, Kuzma is very confusing to me because at times it doesn't really seem like he's that explosive off the floor. But when he does these chase down blocks, he elevates so quickly and like all of a sudden you really see his length because, I mean, he's 6'9", he's got like a 7, I think he's got like a 7'1 wingspan, he's got like good length, but you often don't see it. And, and, uh, on these chase down blocks, it has been very fun to watch. I feel like that dude has just been like YouTubing LeBron top chase down block videos, he you totally know, during has. quarantine. But, but yeah, those, those have been a nice uh, addition to his game. It feels like JaVale McGee has come into Kyle Kuzma's body <laughs> and assumed his position. It's funny because Kyle Kuzma's actually are leading our team in blocks at 1.1 a game, along with Marc Gasol, who also has 1.1, and that is just stupid to think about. It's only seven games, obviously, but I, it doesn't seem like something that's unsustainable for him. I mean, he's athletic enough to keep doing this, and he seems to be in the right positions as the help defender. So, you know, kudos to Kuz for just, I guess, I don't know, being more active and turning that... Because usually when he's activated defensively, it's more if he knows he has to lock in on a certain guy, like a specific wing. But what's impressive about these chase down blocks is the fact that he's the help defender. And maybe give credit to whoever the main defender is, whether it's Trez and Gasol for holding their position that allows Kuz to just sky in the way he does. But I hope he keeps it up. Um, Some other highlights that I've loved are pretty much every Marc Gasol bounce pass. Uh, he also had a really nice high-low post pass to LeBron for the easy lay-in in the last game. Um, he had that one pass where he was tripped up and he still flipped it behind his head to a streaking Kuzma against the Grizzlies. And if it hadn't been called for a foul, we may have had one six Sports Center highlight. Yeah. Uh, to me, he's pretty much seven-foot Lonzo Ball. 
He's not going to break you down or ISO you, but he'll hit threes once in a while and dissect you with his outlet passes and smart reads that can sometimes be both very fundamental, but also otherworldly flashy too. So that's my comp for, for Marcus Saul. <laughs> Seven, one more. <laughs> what you rocking Marcus Saul? <laughs> exactly. Uh, THT last night also had um, one reverse layup against the trees where it looked like he was going to, he oh, pump yeah, faked and looked so like he was going to go up one way and then went back the other way and then reverted back to the other side of the basket to finish with his right hand. And I was like, that typically for any other player, that should be a blocked shot or that shot would get blocked. Um, but it, but THT totally just went up with it and was fine, unimpeded, going back to his right hand. And then he also had that ridiculous reverse layup on the move over his head that he's become really nifty with. Um, and it's just poetry in motion in the air for THT. Um, LeBron logo three pull up. Um, we also had LeBron's rebound catch straight into an out, straight into an outlet pass, uh, which was incredible. And then just his takeover in the fourth against the Grizzlies was was great to see again. Outside of those points, before I take it to break, I wanted to pitch two just ideas and thoughts to you really quick. And this is not necessarily a hot take, but what do you think about Kuzma starting permanently? Um, this is the first time that I've actually thought about it from... I, I never thought it was necessary, um, but I guess just seeing how much more comfortable he is and I know it's only been two games this year, and I know whenever he starts, he averages 20 points, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think especially with the unit out here this year with Marcus Gasol, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James, it kind of just feels like he is not only more confident, but also feels less pressure when he's out there, almost because he has like a safety net with LeBron and AD. And also he gets to play directly with Marcus Gasol, who just finds him the ball, whether he's cutting or curling off these screens for threes. So what are your thoughts about like permanently starting Kuz at the two and moving KCP to the bench? Because I actually think, and this is more credit to KCP, I think KCP is a player that won't waver in his role, regardless of whether he's coming off the bench or starting. And Kuzma is the one who's more like wishy-washy. You're not sure what you're going to get from him game to game. And it seems like when you start him, you almost mentally activate him. And you've seen that where he just comes out firing without a care in the world, but in a good way. And his decision making is a lot better. I feel like maybe when he comes off the bench, he feels like he's the guy off the bench who has to make stuff happen. But in the starting lineup, he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And then again, Marcus Saul is there with him. Whereas I, I feel like when he's come off the bench, they, their minutes haven't been staggered well enough, in my opinion. So what are your thoughts about, you know, potentially starting Kuz permanently? I, I'm not too, I'm, I'm, I don't have a strong feeling I, I'm not tied. I'm not strongly tied to the idea, but it's just an interesting question. I wouldn't be opposed to it, I suppose. But I, I and I and it's nice to know that Kuz is capable of starting. And you know, to say that you can stand, you know, with your head, you know, your head held high with in a lineup with Marcus All, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James and Dennis Schroeder, like, and you plug right in and you fit, you know, very well in there and you're not making any mistakes. I mean, that's, that's like great praise, I think. Mm -hmm. But I do think that KCP brings such an important defensive dynamic in terms of being able to chase around these tiny guards um, mm -hmm. that, you know, it, we don't need the size off the bench. i sorry, off the, uh, in the starting lineup, we are, we have plenty of size. One thing I would like to say about that, though, because I do agree with you that in particular, Kuz 
it just like plays so much better with Marcus Gasol. I mean, we're seeing it a little yeah. bit this year with Anthony Davis too, because I do think AD has improved as a passer. And you know, Kuz's best, of course, lineups last year. I think all involved LeBron, um, which I think was pretty well reported. So. I would like to see Vogel find more minutes for Kuz and Marcus all together, though, mm-hmm. because I, I think that, you know, the way that he's doing the rotations now, like Kuz will come in as like the first sub. So he gets like a minute or something, you know, or a minute, maybe two minutes with Mark. But he often comes in with Montrez together and Mark goes to the bench. Yep. And then when Kuz goes back out in the second quarter, you know, they go to, you know, a lineup with AD at the five and either Mark or... Uh, Markeith or Montrez at the four temporarily until they bring Mark back for like, you know, the last couple minutes of the half. I would like to see in that stretch, like just a couple of minute stretches, maybe a little bit longer in the first quarter, maybe a little bit in the, at the end of the second quarter, bring Kuz back in and give him some more minutes with Mark because especially now, since there's been all this talk about using Mark more as a, getting more usage out of him and not having him just be passive on the court when he's out there because he does bring something so valuable, valuable to the team. Um, it would be nice to, uh, you know, give, give some more minutes to Kuz when Mark is out there and, and let Kuz do his cutting and curling off screens that he's gotten a lot better at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things like that, that, you know, Mark is much more able to make, you know, those types of passes to put him in a position to succeed than even AD or, you know, AD is. And, you know, LeBron is LeBron, but it's different when you have a seven-foot-one guy standing at the top of the floor surveying everything who could just throw the ball over everyone's head. You know what I mean? It's crazy. And and throwing it from a six-seven-foot-one guy to a six-foot-nine guy who's cutting and like moving around the court, like a shooting guard. Like, I mean, it's, it's a pretty interesting dynamic and I would kind of like to see them explore that a little bit more. I just don't necessarily know that as a starter it's necessary. And also I like who's off the bench since we've decided to go with Dennis as a starter, because he is one of the few guys in our second unit who could create a shot for himself, um, which, which we kind of need, right? We have Trez, but we need another guy as well in the perimeter. Yeah, unless someone goes down and THT starts getting more regular minutes off the bench, I agree right. with you. Uh, speaking of which, last point before we take it to break, what are your thoughts on the THT plan thus far? Seems like he's been uh, put on some training wheels, which makes sense. I kind of have likened it to the Andrew Bynum plan. It seems like that's the plan we have him on, where if you remember, Bynum's first year literally did nothing, averaged two points. Second year, he actually got 21 minutes a game, averaged 7.8 points, 5.9 rebounds, even two blocks a game. And it seems like, I mean, Taylor Horanchuka right now is only averaging 14 minutes, but I'm sure he's going to continue to get some games like the one last night where he plays 24 minutes, you know, and in the aggregate, maybe he averages 17 minutes this year. But what are your thoughts on, yeah, how the Lakers are handling him? I guess I was, I don't mind it at all, actually. I think it's good that they're, at least in the early part of this season, sort of, um, like I mentioned, putting training wheels on him and forcing him to get better and improve on the little things and the little areas that he should improve upon. And that includes mainly playing off ball more, uh, playing better defense. And I think last night they put the ball in his hands again more. Uh, made him the primary initiator, which we hadn't seen a lot of um, since the preseason. And so I think they're starting to slowly dangle the carrot a little bit with regards to how they're employing um, THT out there. But 
I don't know. I have a weird theory, not a theory. And I'm not sure they're not, I don't think they're intentionally doing this, but because I think it would make Clutch unhappy. Um, but I think the unintentional benefit of them just giving him 15 minutes versus, you know, 25 minutes and letting him loose is the Lakers uh, kind of suppress his value a little bit. I think it's just, it's killing two birds with one stone, right? They're kind of developing him gradually without giving him too much all at once. But at the same time, you know, if they were going to give him minutes even closely resembling to what he had been given in the preseason, you might have a guy who's averaging 15 minutes off the bench in only 25 minutes. And some team in the offseason may be more liable to give him one of those Gilbert Arenas, you know, contracts to match. And right now the Lakers can say, again, they're not intentionally doing this to suppress his value because clutches wouldn't like that. But it's funny that they're probably going about this the right way in terms of his development, but it also helps us in the aspect of uh, he's probably not going to get paid $5 million, $5 million, and then max, max, which is what the Gilbert Arenas rule is. And maybe the Lakers can just retain him for whatever they want to retain him for. Although I think this year it will be 10-10, max, max, in terms of any team trying to pry him away from us because uh, with the Gilbert Arenas rule, the first two years you can give up to the mid-level exception, which would be around $10 million. But regardless, yeah, what are your thoughts of how they've handled THD thus far? I think they've been handling him fine. I mean, I, I think what you're saying is like a just a happens to be a byproduct of what they would have done anyway. I mean, keep in mind this team, Dennis Schroeder is playing so well and so efficiently yeah. on both ends of the court. Like he could be averaging 35 minutes a game on this team. And like it, it wouldn't be that controversial. He's only he barely at 30. Caruso hasn't even played for the last week. KCP had missed a game. Like KCP's minutes are down from last year too. Like, we're already, we have such a glut of talent that there already isn't like a ton of room for THT, but I appreciate that Vogel, he, Vogel has no, like, uh, no need or, um, obligation to, to try to find minutes for THT on a, on a lineup with a lineup like this on a team that just won a championship with all these veterans ahead of him on the roster, like, but he's still trying to because I think he knows this dude is going to be very important for us moving forward. Mm-hmm. We ha- we don't have a ton of picks um, moving forward, and um, THT is like a we hit a, another home run in the second round. I think that's pretty clear. Like I'm not saying yep. this dude's going to be an all star necessarily. We have to see how he develops. But I mean, yes, all the sk- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, but I mean, he probably is. But I'm not going to say that. But now all the skills are certainly there, and. I mean, this kid is uh, 20 years old, barely, um, and and he is just, you can tell he belongs. I mean, like, we've we've been through this enough with some of these young guys coming through, and um, we've seen enough now to know, you know, when a guy just gets it and when a guy doesn't get it and is just not really going to amount to anything. THT is going to be a player in the NBA hopefully for us and, you know, hopefully we'll continue to be super productive. And so I really, really appreciate that Vogel is somehow finding minutes for him. I think THT has appeared in six of the seven games and is averaging like 15 minutes. And yeah, some of those are inflated from like the blowout games where he played a little bit more, but it's, that's kind of what we expected, right? I mean, he would have some games where he played a little bit more because it was a blowout. Some games he wouldn't really play that much because it was closed. So Continuing to get him these reps is is great, and um, the big thing for him at this point, and I think it's very obvious when you watch the games, it's he's just so lost sometimes <laughs> as an off ball defender. I mean, his on ball defense actually is pretty good, mm-hmm. um, and his length is really good. 
really good at contesting on the perimeter, you'll notice that like his sneaky length, like it really all affects people because they go up for like a normal jump shot thinking like some six, four guy or six, three guys trying to defend it. I know what that's, that feels like intuitively like muscle memory wise. And his arms just keep like extending and extending. <laughs> and it's like, Oh crap. <laughs> you know? Yep. So it's like, you know, I really like all that stuff, but as a help defender, he's sometimes lost. And I think that, you know, it's any young player he has to learn eventually. So with more and more reps, he'll continue to get that. But um, I, yeah. I'm very impressed with him and, and, and like how they've been handling him so far. And, and I think what's crazy about THT is it seems like he picks up on stuff really quickly, even in the game. And he had this one play against Grayson Allen where he was sort of snaking the pick and roll along with Grayson. And uh, he forced Grayson Allen to take a jump shot um, on Anthony Davis. But Anthony Davis got the block. But I think it was THT who was bothering him because his length was just attached to him the entire time. And you have to think Grayson Allen was thinking about that. He's like, oh shit, this kid is still with me and I got to pull up for this. And oh crap, Anthony Davis block on the other end. So yeah, you can already start to see the ways in which THT is just going to be a terror on both ends, especially when he starts to figure things out. I've liked that his three-point shooting has seemingly continued to carry over from the preseason. He's still hitting that step back three and he hit a catch and shoot one against the Grizzlies as well. If he can continue that, I mean, that's going to go a long way in making him a very versatile utility player, whether or not Vogel uses him as a primary initiator or just as a guy to wreak havoc on both ends. So yeah, I've definitely liked what I've seen thus far. Maybe we're not going to get the Tyler Hero MPJ breakout that some of us maybe anticipated, but I think if he continues to earn the trust of Frank Vogel, I mean, it's early on in the season, who knows what happens and who knows what injuries may crop up down the line. Um, and he's already had a dress rehearsal in the playoffs of important minutes. So more could come for THT if he continues this progression and continues to learn the right way. Um, with that said, we're going to take it to break. And then when we return, we'll just quickly go through some early statistical trends and observations um, of this team that we've liked, disliked, want to see more or less of from the team and its players. Uh, but first, your Apple podcast review of the night. All right, so tonight's Apple Podcast review of the night will be brought to you by our impressionist extraordinaire, Tommy Alexander, who will be reading it as Mark Gasol. Mark Gasol, take it away. This review is entitled, A, You Reach 420, by Niketty Jones. Wait, excuse me, Niketty Seba Jones. (laughs) Now get that 500. Uh, thank you. I think it's Nick D, but... Nick D. <laughs> Nick D. Sebahones. Sebahones. <laughs> uh, thank you, Nick D. Sebahones, for the five-star review. Uh, hopefully, you guys can help us get to 500. We're currently at 433, so please help us out. Uh, Tommy, you did such a great job of impersonating Marcus All, and this is clearly his vernacular, with the A, you reached 420, and now get that 500. Um, but uh, what went into your channeling of uh, Pal's brother? I tried to get inside the mind of a guy who excels at throwing backdoor passes, mm. and I thought that's what he might sound like. Nice, and we love going backdoor, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was good timing. It was good timing. All right, thank you for that. All right, so we are back. I'm going to quickly run through some team-related stats and how we rank uh, with the rest of the league. This is um, obviously prior to the games that have happened on January 4th. Uh, But currently, 
the Lakers after the Grizzlies game are number three in offensive rating with 115.7 behind the Hawks and the Bucks. Uh, they are number six in defensive rating with a 104.5 rating. Number two overall net rating at 11 behind just the Bucks. They are number two, <clears throat> excuse me, they are number two in effective field goal percentage just behind the Bucks. They are number one in field goal percentage at 49.6%, which is crazy. But the craziest out of all, they are number three in three-point percentage at 40.6%. <laughs> Although we are 24th in attempts, it doesn't matter. We're 10th in makes. So huge strides by this team where last year we were at 35% from three after the end of the season. And I believe through seven games last year, we were only shooting 31%. So this early yeah. to be shooting 40.6% is incredible. And then the other stat that I had predicted before we started the season the Lakers have jumped to number 12th in free throw percentage at 76.7%. Yeah. Uh, they're only 20th in free throw attempts, which I think is still insane when you have Anthony Davis it's and LeBron absurd. James. No, Although I understand that Anthony Davis is taking a bunch of jump shots and threes, et cetera, et cetera. Still, we should be getting way more free throws than we are right now. Uh, but yes, 76.7% and 12th in the league in that department is great. We are fifth in rebounding, 484 Seventh in assists with 26.1. I expect that to continue to go up. Uh, 25th in steals, 6.6, which I thought we'd actually be better in this year, but I think yeah, it's absolutely. just the team getting acclimated to the defensive scheme and principles. And then we are eighth in blocks, uh, 5.7. And obviously, Anthony Davis is only averaging like 0.8. So uh, the fact that we can probably continue to rise in that department, and you know maybe there's a regression coming for Kyle Kuzma, but... The fact that we kind of may stay within the top 10 without JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard is pretty impressive. Um, and then lastly, we are number 20 in pace. Last season, we were 11th. Um, we are 15th in transition points, averaging 20 points a game. 16th in frequency in that department. Uh, 17th in fast break points, 13.9. Um, and yeah, those are the main uh, stats that I wanted to bring out. Um, I guess since I, I landed on pace really quick, I guess what are your thoughts on how this team is jiving? Uh, you know, we're number 20 in pace. It seems like we're not getting out as much, and that's probably because our half-court offense is so much better and our defense mm. has been a little lax. Do you think this yeah. will eventually pick up? And I don't think these numbers are that different from last year's, but it just seems like we're not getting out as much. Yeah, no, it does seem like that. And I think a big thing to remember is... I mean, like last year we were horrendous. I mean, people forget again, because by the bubble, we kind of figured it out, but we were horrific for the first couple months of the season offensively in terms of efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of changed for us offensively is we realized, oh, we're actually pretty good if we can get defensive stops and just sprint. And just like, that was our offense was just defense, like really tough defense and sprinting. Now we kind of have, like you said, the ability to rely on half-court offense a lot more. I mean, our half-court, it's just miles better. Um, so we have that safety net kind of. Um, mm -hmm. But I also feel like we haven't, we haven't fully hit our stride. We've played seven games, and I'd say – hit our stride defensively, I should say. We've played seven games, and I'd say the first four games we did not play well at all defensively. I think the last few games, and it's hard to know how much of this is influenced by the opponents, um, we picked it up a bit. Uh, but I just, 
there's going to be, there are some things that are missing. Like KCP has been hurt. He is, has very active hands on the perimeter generally. AD has not been as engaged as he has been, you know, in, in most of his career to this point defensively. I think you see that with the blocks. I mean, has this dude ever averaged like below one and a half blocks? He's averaging half of that right now. Um, um, you know, he is up being a little bit less active in terms of strips, in terms of blocks. LeBron is taking his time to kind of ease into it. Caruso has been out. I mean, he's huge for us defensively yeah, and true. getting deflections and stuff like that. So we need to ultimately like fast break points pace. I think is, it is what it is. It's like, whatever, like we want to be a team that's going to run after even after made baskets, which we did. That being said, we're not going to be, you know, I don't even know who the top pace teams are right now, but we're not going to be like the last year's, uh, 2019, 2020 Pelicans where they're just like running, <laughs> you know, nonstop with, you know, with Alvin Gentry and stuff. So we're not, we're never going to be that point at, to that point, but the, where you kind of look for, uh, what you kind of look for, I guess, as a proxy for how this team is doing in terms of pace is fast break points. Because even when we were like middle of the pack pace last year, we were number one in the NBA in fast break points. And the mm-hmm. idea is this team selectively runs yep. like you have LeBron and AD LeBron is 35, you know, plus years old. I don't even know how old he is at this point. Um, AD is a big man. Um, and you don't want to, you know, ruin him running up and down the court a million times. So we play with Marcus all now, which he's also a bit slow, but we ran with slow guys last year too, to some, some degree. Um, and certainly our bench unit should be running a lot more, but I guess, you know, off of uh, defensive plays, we make defensive plays, get some more steals. Once those numbers start going up, I'd like to see the fast break points start going up. Um, and I'll use that as a better proxy for how we're doing in terms of pace than the actual pace number, because we're just not going to be a team that is going to be leading the NBA in pace just because of the way we play and how we play defense and all that stuff. So. Yeah. And right now we're actually middle of the pack, like 17th in fast break points with 13.9. And I think last year we were hovering around the same direction, which, you know, lends to your point that we are a selective team. We're not always going to be up and down. And once the defense picks up, that's when you'll get more Gasol rebounds and then outlet passes over his head to guys streaking, which you've already seen some of, but we'll probably see it at a higher frequency once the defense picks up. Uh, The other team trend that I wanted to talk about is the Lakers three-point shooting. Obviously, there's probably going to be a regression to the mean here. Um, We're at 40% right now. AD's three-point shooting's been insane. Wes Matthews has been shooting it well off of two really great games. KCP is shooting 52.6% on (laughs) 1.7 mix. Actually, KCP's percentages are ridiculous right now. He's shooting 55.6% from the field. and 52. He's pretty good, I will admit. (laughs) Um, So the Lakers currently have, I think, like four or five guys shooting above 40%. So KCP at 52.6% on 1.7 makes. Wes Matthews on 45% on 1.4 makes. Literally buoyed by two games. Um, Kuzma shooting 42% on 2.1 makes. Anthony Davis, 41% on 1.2 makes. LeBron, 39% on 2.4 Schroeder, 37% on 1.4, and then Gasol and Markeith at 33% and 31% respectively, which is fine for big men because they're just spacing the floor for you. Um, I guess my question for you is, you know, last year we were 35% and near the bottom in this department. I think if the Lakers can even just keep this at 38% throughout the rest of this year, this should be 
that should be totally fine and keep us in an elite level offensively. And I don't really see anything that's not replicable to, um, you know, like that's not replicable for the rest of the season. I mean, Kuzma obviously will waver here and there, but I think even if you take into account the preseason, he's been pretty consistent to start this season. And if you remember last year, he was good to start off as well. And then he had the uh, banged up ankle that kind of threw him off and then some other mental issues, et cetera. But right now, He's 15 of 36 uh, from the field. And, you know, we always talk about Kuzma being a great baseline shooter, and he was the Lakers' best baseline three-point shooter last year at 54%, which is insane because he only shot like 32% overall. (laughs) Um, But this year, actually, he's shooting better from everywhere else. So you would imagine his baseline three-point shooting will pick up, and then if he can maintain his shots from the wing and above the break— this year, he's shooting 5 of 14 from the baseline and then 10 of 22 from the wings, the corner wings, and above the break, which is a huge improvement. And he's the only Laker besides LeBron James to hit a three-pointer in every game he's played this season. Um, and I think you can prob- it's probably replicable because we've talked about this so many times, but the way that Kuzma's getting these three-point shots off the curls, you know, coming off screens, you know, shooting without hesitation, not putting the ball down... Uh, that seems replicable to me, and his shot looks wet right now. And then 80s, three, 80s jump shooting and three-point shooting seem to have totally carried forth from you know the playoffs, and maybe it's a good thing that there hasn't been that much of a gap between when the season re-upped again. So that seems like it'll carry through. And if you remember last year, like the first two weeks or so of the regular season, we're like, yo, what's up with 80s jump shot? Can this guy shoot? And it's it's crazy to see how far we've come from then. Um, and then Wes Matthews is such a versatile shooter, even from what we've seen, you know, if we're comparing him to Danny Green, just his ability to really fling that ball without barely, you know, raising above the ground. Like he shoots it literally just with a flick of his wrist. Um, and Dennis Schroeder, he's maintaining his three-point percentage from, you know, last season where he shot 38% off a good volume. And it's also crazy to think that in the swap of Dennis Schroeder and Danny Green that we actually improved shooting-wise. And that Dennis Schroeder is a knockdown three-point shooter off the catch and shoot. It's crazy. Maybe he's not an off-the-curl guy. There's very few guys who are like that, and Kuzma's slowly starting to become that guy. But the fact that he can just... Every single time he's had an open shot, you imagine it's going in. It's kind of crazy. So I guess your quick thoughts on the three-point shooting and whether it's sustainable. It's sustainable to a degree. We're going to regress a little bit, but I mean, you know, the numbers across the league are very high right now. Honestly, if we're 36%, if we're like middle of the pack as a three-point shooting team, we do so many things so well. LeBron LeBron and AD have not even been like dominating the paint as much as they did last year, right? Because they haven't had to yet. We obviously have Montrez who could dominate the paint. We have Schroeder who can get into the paint very effectively. Like... Those aspects of the game uh, of their of all these guys' games are going to start coming out. Um, you know, once the shots stop falling a little bit. I mean, I hope we don't regress too much. At some point, we went down this team one through nine, and excuse me, one through ten, and and this was even before we realized Tht. Who, you know, he's only playing I don't know ten minutes a game, but is somehow taking two <laughs> over two threes a game and is shooting thirty six percent like. That's a pretty good improvement. Um, But some of this, like, you know, Schroeder, we kind of said, Schroeder, excuse me, I'm going to say that all year. (laughs) Montrezel and Schroeder. Schroeder, we kind of predicted would be around where he is right now. Some of these guys will regress a little bit, which is fine. Um, 
But, you know, we kind of predicted AD looked a lot better. You didn't, you felt like, you know, from March of last year to the bubble, that improvement, the bubble was such a big sample size, right? I mean, we went all the way to the finals and won. So it was over 20 games. I mean, that's like a quarter of a regular NBA season with like the highest level defense possible through most of those games. And AD shot very well from the mid-range. I mean, historically good from the mid-range and also very well from three. And that is carried over so far. Um, I'm not saying he's going to shoot 41% over a season, but he's going to hopefully hit in the higher end of the 30s. Kuz, I think, will ultimately be in the higher end of the 30s. Same thing with KCP. And honestly, maybe even Caruso. So, I mean, we were going down the list 1 through 10 before the season started, and we said, like, look... Pretty much everyone on this list, except for Montrez, you have to guard at, at the three-point line. And just having that ability, I think, makes such a big difference for the team as a whole. I mean, um, last year, we at least, in every lineup, had at least one, if not two, or three guys who absolutely were not three-point shooting threats. And that just kills the whole spacing. Like, although Mark is only shooting 33%, which is fine, by the way, but, you know, say only shooting 33% from three, you have to guard him. If you leave him wide open, he'll make it. You know what I mean? So it's like you have to put a body somewhere floating near him. And that just opens up the floor for everybody else. I mean, this is such a precision sport. And every inch of an advantage that you could gain helps. And so, you know, I think you're seeing that with LeBron's numbers. I'm not saying LeBron's going to shoot 39% or whatever he is on high volume from three, but he's played in all seven games. He's got a pretty good sample size and he's hitting and he goes through stretches where he hits and then some stretches where he gets a little cold and that's fine. But I think you're kind of seeing the spacing and all that stuff playing out right now. Like we're hitting a high percentage, but we're also getting a good number of wide open threes. And that aspect of it, you kind of, of our offense so far, you kind of have some confidence that that'll continue to be a thing because I, I honestly, I feel like we haven't even fully unleashed AD and LeBron yet. (laughs) And you know, those guys are still kind of pacing themselves. I mean, they are like both like severe career lows. LeBron is 32 minutes a game right now, which is just, I mean like multiple minutes, like less than what he normally plays. And not only that, when he's out there, he has other guys who can do things. So he doesn't need to exert, 100% the entire time. And, you know, once, once those guys start ramping it up a little bit more, um, I, I'm just like really curious to see how, how, how much better the spacing becomes even, you know, even more at that point. So it's, it's all good spacing. Um, last year I felt like we had the plays, but we didn't have the spacing. So nothing really worked. And it's just so different this year. Um, you know, like I said, the one guy who maybe is not a three point, definitely is not a three point shooting threat is Montrez, but he's always on the floor with either AD or Markeith, who are both three point shooting threats. And, you know, and also Kuz, who's, you know, developed very nicely as a three point shooter for us, taking five a game somehow and hitting 42%, which is great. So, um, certain trends I think are going to remain, um, but I think the percentages will regress a bit. Who knows how much, you know, who knows how much of this is early season hot, like hot streaks versus, you know, this is just who these guys are now in terms of development. Like maybe Goose is just a 39, 40% shooter now. I don't know. But, you know, we saw something, last thing I'll say is we saw something similar to this in the, in the beginning of the bubble. A lot of teams came out and were 
you know, putting up absurd offensive numbers. And somebody made the point of like, well, you know, it's with all the weirdness of COVID and, and the shutdowns and guys, you know, able to practice with each other sometimes, but not able to play pickup ball sometimes is, is uh, you know, it's easy for Coos to sit in a gym with a trainer and run these curls and do drills and shooting and get all that stuff in order. But defense is a little bit harder to practice without your teammates. And so I think all teams in the NBA right now are kind of figuring themselves out defensively. And because we have so many solid veteran offensive players, we're kind of exploiting that right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, other teams will eventually get better defensively and and uh, that will cause a natural regression a bit. Yeah, and I think you mentioned that you felt like we had some of the plays last year, and I think we've implemented way more plays just because of the personnel that we have on the team and mainly Marcus Gasol because I feel like our offense is a lot less predictable than it was last year, and just having Marcus Gasol yeah. at the top of the key, there's so much movement going on. <laughs> I feel like it's throwing people off because, I mean, we were threats down low at attacking the rim and putting pressure on the rim, but not like this year where Marcus Gasol can literally fling that from either baseline three-point shot or like right down to the post for a cutting dude for a layup. And there's just so much more unpredictability and versatility to our offense that that's why you're seeing so many more pin-down screens and flare screens and guys coming off curls. I feel like it's obviously a little bit of an internal improvement as well from individual guys, but there's just a pep in the step of everybody when they're on the court with like yeah. Marcus Gasol, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. So I think that's one reason why this is sustainable, this percentage, because the offense just flows so much better and the defense is, they have to, you know, pick your poison sort of like, are we going to, I mentioned it's Allen, but it almost feels like with all the off ball movement, and it seems like a lot more than last season, maybe it's not, but it almost seems like in half court, we're playing in semi-transition because yeah. so many guys are moving, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, I yeah. guess that's what, I think we've been so devoid of that the last few years. And it's just been ISO ball that it's like, yeah, no, duh. This is what normal offenses look like. And to me, I'm like, semi-transition happening in the half court. <laughs> right, but no, right, really, right. I mean, that's, that's literally what it looks like with everybody. You know, you've got two guys cutting at any one point, another guy setting a screen, guys popping out to the three. And there's so many options because you trust a guy like Marcus Gasol or LeBron James and, Anthony Davis is picking up some Marcus Gasol tendencies as well. You trust any of those high basketball IQ guys to get your dude the ball in whatever position you feel like is necessary because there's option A, B, and C, and they could all of them could be great options. So because of your offense is because your offense is flowing so well. So that's my point for the offense or for this three-point shooting to sort of sustain itself at, at least to the 37, 38% mark. Um, to close the show, I'll just go rapid fire of small trends that I've seen that I've liked, and then we can kind of piggyback off each other. Um, I like Trez's mid-range jump shooting that he's been implementing more uh, this year. He's actually shooting five of nine from the mid-range. Uh, that's 55%, which is already past what he did last year. So last yeah. year, Trez shot four of 29 from mid-range. <laughs> so it's crazy. He's five of nine already, and it seems like that's definitely a part of his arsenal um, yeah. and keeping defenses honest. And he really seems pumped up whenever he hits a mid-range jump shot. And it doesn't look too bad. Um, do you have any small trends that you like? Um, you mentioned the Coos block. That's definitely one the of Coos them. The block, chase down block. I, I will say one of the things that surprised me the most, and maybe this is just because I wasn't following this guy before he was on our team, but Schroeder's full court pressure on defense, mm -hmm. just like... Not necessarily to get steals because his steals numbers are actually like not that high. Um, 
But just being a pest and like annoying guys full court the entire game, I I did not think that was an aspect of his game. He kind of mixes it up. Um, but he has like, you know, a game, uh, at least one or two plays a game where it's like, wow, you like single-handedly lock that fool up, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's such a different dynamic for us, um, uh, for our lineups, because it felt like we talked about this so much last year, despite having like four or five point guards on the team, uh, <laughs> which is absurd to think about. So many of those guys were so one-dimensional. I mean, Quinn Cook is a shooter. Um, Alex Caruso last year for most of the season felt like you were our defensive player. Uh, Rajon Rondo was the playmaker. You know, Avery Bradley was maybe the one guy who you could say, okay, well, he brings a little bit of shooting, but he also plays defense. You know, like maybe the maybe the most versatile of that group. Um, but, you know, Schroeder's ability for the – being by far, I think – over the course of the season, we'll see that he'll be our by far our third best offensive player. I just thought that like defense was going to be there, but not like you know maybe not a, not a big part of his game. It's a huge part of his game, and you know we can close games with him and not lose a ton. There may be specific matchups where we want to have KCP or or Caruso out there, um, which is fine. But Schroeder really holds his own defensively, and and that's been nice to see. Yeah, and then. On top of the fact that, obviously, he's a great catch-and-shoot shooter. Shooter is averaging 16 points right now in 30 minutes, 46% from the field, 80% from the free-throw line, 4.9 assists, 4.4 rebounds. The one thing he does have to clean up is the turnovers, 2.6. And I've mentioned before that you know he does get into his tunnel vision a little bit when he drives because he is very much a scoring point guard. Um, and he just needs, and I think this is just a feeling out process for him as well, just getting to know his teammates better, but he can annoy me a little bit and frustrate me when he just looks off like wide open dudes. Um, but again, that might just be, uh, a part of the process, but I mentioned it to you earlier, but how funny is it that we spent all these years, you know, dissecting D'Angelo Russell's game and grooming him to be the next great point guard for the Lakers and, we end up with Dennis Schroeder, which in, in some sense is, is like the best case version of D'Angelo Russell, especially if you add in the defense, right? And especially when you think about Dennis Schroeder's finishing ability is miles better than D'Angelo Russell's was, you know? And Dennis Schroeder's a much faster player. They have the same sort of crafty in-and-out dribbles and shiftiness, but what Dennis Schroeder has that D'Angelo Russell never had, and maybe it's improved over the last few years, is just he's a great finisher around the basket. He can finish through contact. He can put these floaters up and he doesn't seem yeah. afraid when he goes to the basket where, you know, when D'Angelo would go in, it's like he'd spaz out at the sight of any sort of body, you know? So yeah, Dennis right. Schroeder. Great. I mean, at this point, would you sign him to an extension? I think by February, something we can sign him to more than 17 million a year. So if Dennis Schroeder is asking for 20 million a year uh, for the next three or four, would you give it to him? I would give it to him, dude. I honestly yeah, yeah. would. I mean, it's like, it, it, he's so it, he'll become the crazy thing about him is he's not that old. I mean, he's only 27 or something. So, yeah. and he will, he will continue to not only develop because a th the three point shot was just something that got added to his arsenal last year. He'd never shot before that. Um, so, you know, he has the three point shot. Now he'll continue to add more things and he becomes more and more valuable as the years go on because LeBron is getting older and older and we already have LeBron committed. We have AD committed Schroeder is going to have, you know, just a bigger and bigger role each year. He plays both ends. He plays hard. He hasn't complained. Like, he got his starting role, but 
You haven't heard one peep out of this dude about like complaining about shots or complaining about touches. He lets the game come to him. He makes such a big impact in the minutes he's on the floor. I mean, I would give him the money, and I don't think, you know, it, let's say it doesn't work out hypothetically, you would have no problem moving that contract, in my yeah. opinion, because Schroeder has proven that he can be a starting caliber point guard. I mean, there were stretches, dude. Like, I know it's only been seven games, but there were a couple of games where I was like, oh my God, if he keeps this up, he's going to be an all-star this year. You know what I mean? Because like, we're going to be one of the best teams in the league and he's putting up crazy numbers. I mean, he's averaging over 16 a game and continuing to rise and five assists a game on a team with AD and LeBron. Like, yeah. he's only playing 30 minutes a game. So anyway, yeah, I would give him the money and I would not, not think twice about it. Yeah, he's D'Angelo Russell fully realized. I've also really liked his pull-up mid-range jump shot off these simple screens. That's very that's a very CP3-esque thing, and he can knock it down consistently. So on every level, he is a three-level scorer. So props to Dennis Schroeder. Okay, we'll pretty much close it from here. I'll just quickly add, let's see, what other trends do I like? Uh, the Marcus Saul give-and-go bounce pass, him wrapping around screens with that bounce pass as well. Um, Kuzma passing is a trend that I've liked. Quick reads, all of his hockey assists, where he's not necessarily getting the assist, but because he moved the ball really quickly along the perimeter, other guys got a really open shot. Um, He's even added some driving kicks to his arsenal. Um, Things I want to see more of, I want to see the offense run through Gasol more, which LeBron James and Vogel have already uh, reiterated that they want to see happen as well. and as you mentioned earlier, I want to see them. I want to see Frank Vogel stagger Kuz and Gasol better together. Um, something I hope to see more of as well is the Schroeder pick and roll with Trez and them gaining more of that chemistry. And that requires Vogel to stagger both of them in there as well. And we've seen them close some games, so hopefully they can develop more of a rapport in that respect. And then also, I hope his pick and roll game with AD continues to grow because we've seen strides in that department as well. AD going so far as to say, yeah, we figured out the pick and roll together. Um, We've seen some instances of that in the Grizzlies game where he had a really nice pocket bounce pass to AD where he slipped in and just laid it in off the glass. And yeah, those are things that I want to see more of. Some things that I don't want to see more of is maybe, you know, sticking Trez less on, you know, big bruisers with size and maybe putting Mark in there or having AD guard that bigger center and allowing Trez to play the perimeter a little bit more and use his seven foot four wingspan. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Do you have any other small things you want to throw out? Uh, nothing for me. I think we covered it. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that said, thank you guys for listening. Um, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. And happy 2021. Here we go. Brace yourselves. Crossing fingers. Uh, The only thing that we need to really be worried about this year is injuries. And so far, the Lakers have been healthy. And that's the only thing, in my opinion, that will derail this team. So hopefully uh, we continue to have the proper health and longevity as we uh, embark on this repeat season. So 2020 into 2020 into 2021. Here we come. Uh, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. Laters. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.